You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. We are in a series that we've entitled The Opposite Way, uh, where we are learning that to be a disciple of Jesus uh, often feels unorthodox, to say the least, in our culture. It feels like we oftentimes are swimming upstream or going against the grain. It does at times feel like following Jesus is an opposite way of how we've been told to live. But what we're discovering in the series is that it's the unlikely path to the life that we are all longing for. And today, as we dive into our text, we're going to talk about what I think is honestly and our culture, one of the greatest enemies to spiritual growth, which is uh, to live a hurried and busied life. And so if you look with me in Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to read in verse 28 through verse 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to ask that you uh, pray for me as I pray for you. Father, I'm reminded even as I walked in today and as I received text messages this morning, there are many weary people sitting here. Uh, People who are heavy laden, people who feel bogged down, And I just thank you so much that you came to give us rest. You came to give us peace. And so I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, you will take this, what might seem as an abstract, even pipe dream to some people today, and make it a reality in our hearts and our lives. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Hey, I just want to see a show of hands. How many many David Hasselhoff fans do we have in the room today? (laughs) David Hasselhoff? How can you not be a fan of that, right? Happy Mother's Day again, by the way. And so, um, David Hasselhoff. I actually have a lot in common with David. Um, I really do. And I'm not just mean in my looks, Dustin. And so, uh, I could give you a whole, a whole long list of things that, that I share in common with Mr. Hasselhoff. Uh, for one, we both love black cars. Has anybody in here ever watched The Knight Rider? Yes. Give it up for The Knight Rider, man, right? It was awesome. Um, so David obviously likes black cars. I also drive a black car, 2006 Honda Element. So it's a lot, or Honda Accord. I don't even know what kind of car I have. And so, um, and so, uh, yes, it is black. I know that much. And so it's a lot like the Knight Rider. Um, so, um, yeah, we both like black cars. Uh, the second thing we have in common is we both used to be lead singers in a band. If you have not ever YouTube. David Hasselhoff live at the Berlin Wall singing the song Freedom. Um, that is your loss. And so I want to encourage you to go find that. He also released a new song called The True Survivor, um, which is un- it's mesmerizing to say the least. So don't Google it right now. You've seen it. You know what I'm talking about. And so go and watch it. I used to be a lead singer in a band. The third thing we have in common, and, and for my purposes today to make a point, we also both used to be lifeguards. And so uh, many of you may not know this, but whenever I moved to Louisville, Kentucky to, to go to seminary in uh, Louisville, I decided to work at an Olympic pool there. And so I had to be certified as a lifeguard. And so 
had to take a written test, had to be certified in CPR, and then, of course, had to take this physical swim test to prove that I could actually rescue somebody. And so in this physical test, what you had to do in Jefferson County, at least, was the following. Uh, I had to show that I could swim 20 laps uh, nonstop, down and back, down and back, down and back. After that, I had to tread water for two minutes nonstop. Then I had to go to the bottom of a pool, depending on what part they sent us in, 12 to 18 feet deep. You had to sit on the bottom of the pool, and then you had to grab a weight and pull it to the top. You then had to do these rescues where they would, uh, they would have someone that act like they broke their neck on a diving board, and so you'd have to like, you know, stabilize their neck and then pull them out of the water. Then they had someone that act like they were like delirious and fighting you, which I think was just a way for them to get entertainment, but then you had to like get that person out of the pool. And so at the end of all of that, obviously my muscles were fatigued, I was tired, um, but the last thing they had us do is they said, okay, what we want you to do now is we want you to go and we want you to be fully immersed under the water. There doesn't need to be any part of your body sticking up out of the water. And then what I want you to do is swim from one end of the pool to the other end of the pool without coming up for oxygen. Okay, now keep in mind, this is not like a pool in the back of your yard. This, this pool is, uh, I think it was 82 feet long. So I don't know, I'm guessing that's close to like here to that back door. So imagine swimming completely immersed underwater, right, without coming up for oxygen. And this is after I was already tired, already worn out. And so, but I, I go underwater and I take off. And for the first, I don't know, probably um, first half of the swim, I'm moving pretty smooth. I'm feeling pretty good about where I'm going. I think I can make it. But once I get just a little bit over the halfway point, I still can't see the wall that I have to touch in order to come out of the water. So I began to, to get a little anxious. Now, my chest began to get a little tight. My heart began to beat a little bit faster. What started as a smooth pace became a much more frantic pace. I began to, to kick my little legs. I began to stretch as far as I could with my arms. And eventually, right whenever I thought that I was about to pass out and, and die, I finally was able to touch the wall. I was able to come out of the water. I was able to breathe. I was able to rest. I was able to relax. The reason I share that is I think the image of me about halfway there, panicking, anxious, tired, exhausted, not being able to breathe, is a picture of how many of you are living your life today. For many of you, when you think about your calendar, when you think about your schedule, when you think about your to-do list, when you think about your kids, when you think about those missed calls and those text messages and emails and everything else that you have being piled up on you, some of you here today, you feel like you have been dropped into a pool with no oxygen mask. And here's what you have been told. If you can just make it to the next season, you'll be able to breathe. If you'll just be able to knock out that one more to-do item on your to-do list, then you'll be able to rest. If you can just do that or you can just do this, then you'll be able to breathe. The problem is the further you go, the more tired you get. And it seems like for some of you, there is no end in sight. If that is you, there is great news today. Because what Jesus says to each of us in here is no matter who you are or where you come from, verse 28, he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you what? Rest. Anybody in here need rest? Anybody, right? This is an invitation from Jesus to the tired, to the burnt out, to the war down, to the stressed out, to every busy person in the world who seems to right now live with this low-grade sense of fatigue and, and anxiety that rarely seems to go away. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Jesus' words in the message. He says this, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? 
Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the enforced rhythms of grace. I love that. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. This is an invitation from Jesus into what we are calling the unhurried life. It is a life where, listen to me, you truly can wake up in the morning, face the day, and know that you can take on whatever comes with joy in your heart from a place of rest. This is the life that we all long for. And it's a life that Jesus promises us in his scripture that we can experience if, he says, we are willing to take up what he calls his easy yoke. Now, we don't live in a first century agrarian culture, so what in the world does Jesus mean by a yoke? Well, I have a picture I can put on the screen for you, I believe. Do we have that, Ryan? So there it is. And let me just, as we look at this picture, let me just read this quote to you from Frederick Dale Bruner, who is a top New Testament theologian, especially uh, on the Gospel of Matthew. And here's what he says about a yoke. A yoke is a work instrument. Okay, so as you can see, you can go back to that picture. You can leave that up there. Don't worry about going to the quote, uh, Ryan. Um, As you can see, it's a work instrument, right? It's this wooden device that was handmade in first century Palestine to fit uh, the neck and the shoulders of an ox perfectly so that they could pull weight together without cutting it into their neck or wearing them down, okay? So what what Frederick Dale Bruner says is a yoke, and now you can go ahead and go to the quote, Ryan, is a work instrument. Thus, look at this. When Jesus offers us a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need the least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift that he can give the tired is a new way to carry life. A fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens that we cannot get away from. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. When Jesus invites us to pick up his yoke, he is inviting us into a way of carrying life that will give us more rest than the way we have been living. If you think about it, I think you would all agree with me that this life seems to be weighty at times. Um, And it seems like for me, the older I get, the weightier it becomes. Like when I was 18 years old, my biggest responsibility in life was simply to get out of bed and to go to school, right? And to fix Pop-Tarts if my mom who was here wasn't making breakfast, okay? Like that was my biggest responsibility in life at 18. In college, I actually had to study and I had to get a job. Um, Eventually when I got to college, I got married and I had to stop just thinking about myself, um, then we planted a church. I had to think about a, 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 a big boy job, right? And taking care of other people and overseeing the church that God had entrusted me with. And then eventually Megan and I had a kid. And for those of you who know who have a kid, uh, that is a great gift, but also can be weighty because you realize like this human being literally is going to die if I can't take care of it, right? And so um, that's weighty. Um, and then eventually we bought a house and we had a mortgage that we had to pay. And then we had another kid and then we had another kid, right? And so with all of these responsibilities, right, there came a weight with this. And honestly, the older I get, the more it seems like there's weight upon weight, upon weight, upon weight. And then whenever you look to what Jesus calls us to, if you're anything like me, doesn't it at times just feel like another weight? I mean, you look and you're like, man, I got to get kids to school. I've got to get to practices. 
I've got to make sure homework is done. I've got to be sure and pay bills. I've got to be sure. And I mean, the list goes on and on. And you're telling me, Jared, that Jesus wants me to show up here regularly on Sunday mornings to read my Bible daily, to pray, to share the gospel, to get involved in a missional community, to bless people in this city. Doesn't that at times feel like it's just more weight upon weight? But if you pay attention to the imagery, what is Jesus actually offering us here with an easy yoke? What he is offering us, what he is promising us, is not a life free from work. He's promising us a life that is free from weariness. He's promising us a life, not we just sit down on a couch or lay down on a mattress for the rest of our lives. He's promising a way that we can, in the midst of the mission that he has given us, still learn how to rest. And here's how this happens. Dallas Willard says it like this. In this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. Are you ready? Here's how you experience rest. He says the secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently, and hopefully all while living the rest of our lives just as everyone around us is living. This is a strategy, Willard says, that is bound to fail. What Willard is saying here is, look, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, if you really want to experience peace and rest and joy, you want to be able to breathe, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, what Willard is saying is you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. I'm going to say that again because it's so important. If you are going to experience the life of Jesus, you have got to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. You have to learn to adopt not only his beliefs, right? Not just to know the right theology, not simply his ethics of here's the do's and the don'ts, but you must learn to adopt his weekly rhythms. In other words, to pick up the yoke is to learn how to live connected to him, to walk in step with him, to match your pace with his pace no matter what you are doing. And then what Jesus promises us is rest for the weary. If you want to make following Jesus as hard as you possibly can, here's how to do it. You ready? Just in case you're, you're wondering. If there is anybody here, it's like, I want to make it as hard as I can to follow Jesus. Here's how you do it. You ready? Pay attention. Do everything that Jesus asked you to do and try to live like everyone else around you in our culture. That's the way you can make it absolutely just about impossible. Say yes to everything Jesus has asked you to say yes to right here in Scripture, but also say yes to everything in the world. Try to live like everyone else around you, keep up with the Joneses, and then cram Jesus into whatever nook or cranny you can find him. That's the way some of us are living today. And I'm telling you, listen to me, I'm telling you, it's just a matter of time before you burn out. Failure is just over the horizon. If we are going to experience the life of Jesus, we must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. This is what it means to take up the yoke. It means to tuck in right beside Jesus. It means to live in sync with the way Jesus has called us to live. And then we can find the rest we are longing for. The problem is there are some of you here today who you say that's impossible. Because in order for me to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, that means I'm going to have to slow down. And Jared, you just don't get it. I mean, with the kids I have and with the job I have and with our financial situation, there is no way that I can say no to anything. My life is just always going to be hectic. It's always going to be chaotic. There's no way that I can slow down. Anybody in here feel like that today? 
If so, let me just remind you of this, and it's what I need to be reminded of all week. None of us in here are more significant than Jesus. Would you agree with that? Jesus literally carried the weight of the world on his shoulders. And yet what you see is when you read the Gospels is it never once seems like Jesus was in a hurry to get anywhere. Now, he was all over the map. His life was full, but he was okay with interruptions. He actually got away to pray. Jesus was fully present with people, right? I mean, you've been with those people before that they're talking. They're like, you know, like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, I'm listening. Uh-huh, right, right. Because your mind's just everywhere. Even right now, like you feel that way. I mean, it's very hard to be present even in this moment, right? Because our minds are so cluttered. Jesus was fully present with those that were around him. He was never in a hurry. That is why John Ortberg, who's an author and a pastor of a megachurch in California, Dallas Willard was his mentor, and he one time called Dallas Willard, and he says, hey, I feel stuck in my discipleship to Jesus. I don't feel like I'm growing. What do I need to do? And I love this. Here's what Willard responded. He said, Willard, what do I need to do to get unstuck, to grow closer to Jesus? And after a long pause on the phone, he says that uh, Dallas Willard says this, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Isn't that just awesome? John Ortberg writes that down. And he's like, it's great. He's like, okay, well, what else? What's next? What do I need to do next? And after another long pause, Willard says, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy. You must ruthlessly eliminate it. Let me ask you this. If, if someone was to ask you, hey, what do you think the greatest enemy is to your spiritual growth right now? What would you say? ISIS? <laughs> Liberal America? Pornography, drugs, alcohol, your missional community leader, your pastor, you just don't have the right church, don't have the right... What would you say is the greatest hindrance to your spiritual growth right now? What Dallas Willard says is that it's hurry. That's what's keeping you from going to the next level in your relationship with Jesus. That's what's keeping you from being conformed more into his image. As you're trying to move ahead of him to do everything that Jesus called you to do and do everything the world is telling you that you should do if you're going to be happy. Richard Plass, who is a, a mentor to me and Adam, I was talking to him a couple of weeks ago, and here's what he said to me. He says, the great challenge in our day is learning how to slow down long enough to center ourselves rather than scurrying from activity to activity. A rush life is a life that is out of balance. It is impossible to live a hurried life and have deep relationships with God and others. Our souls simply need space to breathe. Don't you feel that today? Our souls need space to breathe. In 1879, before the invention of the light bulb, listen to this. The average American slept 11 hours a night. Yes. Can you imagine that? 11 hours a night. Today, the average American gets 6.8 hours a night. This means in 1879, people slept nearly five more hours a night than we do. But think about this. This was before the time-saving devices that we have today in our culture. For example, if you're cold and you want to be warmed up, what do you do? You just go in your house and you push a button, and it warms your house up. What did you do in 1879? You chopped down a tree. Or you died of hypothermia, your choice. What did you do if you wanted to clean your dishes? 
You washed them by hand. Or they had 15 kids. They probably had their kids to do it. But point, the point being, you couldn't just push a button. If you wanted to go visit somebody, you could not get on in your car and drive 45 to 90 miles per hour, depending on who's driving. You had to walk or ride on a stinky horse. Right? If you wanted to communicate with somebody a far distance from you, you couldn't just text or call them. You literally had to write them a letter. Can you believe we used to use this to write with? If you wanted to know something in 1879, you couldn't YouTube it. You couldn't ask Siri. You had to learn the hard way. Or just read a book and then hope you could figure it out. Think about this, guys. How is it that we have all the time-saving devices that we have today and we're sleeping five hours less a night? How is that possible? Do you know why it's possible? Because here's what happened. With all of the extra time that we have received, rather than making margin in our lives, we decided to spend that time on anything that we can. We just keep spending it. Some of you are like, man, if I just had a 30-hour day, then my life would, I'd be able to rest. No, you wouldn't. You would spend that next six hours doing something. In the 1960s, nobody saw this coming. If you go back and you read all the futurists and the political theorists, what they all said is by now we would all be working fewer hours and less days. In fact, a famous Senate subcommittee in 1967, look at this. They said by 1985, the average American would only work 22 hours a week for 27 weeks a year. They thought the main problem for us today would be too much leisure time. Yet, since 1973, leisure time in America has decreased by 37%. And with this decrease, obviously, we saw the death of the Sabbath. Before 1969... You would be hard-pressed to find anything across the country that was opened up. Every single Sunday felt like a snow day, but with no internet, kids. Right? Can you imagine a, a city where literally everything was shut down, and the only way you could have any sort of social interaction was to go to a church building where there was a church service. That was the only thing that was going to be open. Today, everything's open. We have a million ball games. I mean, we are going, 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 and we're just falling into it, hook, line, and sinker. We are an incredibly, incredibly busy people. We are being, guys, if you stop and think about it, we are being caught up in a current of busyness, which I feel like is one of Satan's greatest tactics to keep us from actually being with Jesus and experiencing the life that he's called us to experience. Go read the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis sometimes. His whole premise is Satan's main strategy. If he wants to knock you off your horse, if he wants to get you off the path to life, it's not just to create some sort of major spiritual attack. It's to busy you with so much stuff, even what you think is good stuff, that you ultimately miss the ultimate stuff, which is to be with Jesus. Some of you in here, I get it. You're very important. You have a lot to do. But listen, you cannot keep up the pace that you're on right now. Your marriage is going to fall apart. Your health is going to fall apart. Your relationship with God is going to fall apart. You cannot keep the pace that you're on. I'm telling you, you were not created to live this way, guys. Do not buy into the message of the world that says you must do this, 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 and this if you're ever going to have good kids and all be happy, living fulfilled lives. On top of all the busyness that we have, we also have these things called smartphones, which I'm still trying to figure out how to be a Christian and have an iPhone. I'm not joking. I don't know if I shared this with you all, I can't remember, but there was a recent study that was done that said that the average American right now is touching their phone 2,617 times a day. 
for a total of two and a half hours. This is why psychologists are now laboring, labeling most people's relationship to their phones as compulsive and addictive. Always got to check that next text. Always got to say, did anybody call? Anybody need me? The next email. Got to check the social status. Got to make sure to keep it right. It's, it's interrupting our lives. It's called an addiction. And if you don't think you're addicted to your phone, let me encourage you to do something this week. Take the iPhone or the smartphone challenge. It's a little something me, Adam, and Luke came up with. Can I put that on the screen? Do we have that, Ryan? If you don't think you're addicted, let me encourage you to do the, the, these three things this week. Just try it. Only use your phone for text and calls. No games, no social media, no mail. What's the next one? Only use your phone. Oh, that's a, say it again. Resist the urge to use your phone in transitional moments. That means not while you're driving, not while you're waiting on meetings, and not while you're sitting on the pot. Okay? Don't use it. And I know you moms especially. It's like, this is my one moment of silence. It's like, I got to go to the bathroom. You know, it's like, okay. You know, kids banging on the door. Third one, do not let your phone be the first or the last thing that you look at each day. Basically, what we're asking to do this week is to live like it's 1998. Okay? And just see how your soul feels. See if you can create more margin in your life to be with Jesus. We are people who feel like we always have to be doing something. Psychologists and mental health uh, professionals now have come up with this new um, behavioral, this disability they're calling hurry sickness. The definition for this is a behavioral pattern that is characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. If you can be honest today, we all have a touch of hurry sickness, don't we? We all tend to rush from thing to thing to thing. Listen, guys, it's normal, but it's doing violence to your soul. As Christians, walking filled with the Spirit, connected to Jesus, the fruit of our lives should be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Instead, many of us are irritable, hypersensitive, restless, disconnected, and altogether just emotionally and spiritually unhealthy. That's the bad news. The good news is, again, though, Jesus said there's a way out. There's a way that you can begin to slow down your life, to experience rest, to match your pace with his, and experience the life that we're all longing for. On a practical level, I think this is what it means, and I'm going to share these with you, and then we'll be done. If we are going to slow our lives down, if we are going to take up the easy yoke of Jesus, to abide in him and to match our pace with his, here are five things I would encourage you to do. One, you need to have a fixed time of silence and solitude. This is a non-negotiable in your discipleship to Jesus. In fact, we think it's so important that Adam's going to preach a whole message on it next week. Silence and solitude is simply... It's separating yourself from people and noise for a fixed time every day. For me, I have to do this at 6 a.m. or earlier. It's not going to happen because I have little kids. It's a time where you just sit and you do nothing. You breathe and you say, God, I'm here. You're here. What do you have for me? That's it. All right? You spend time maybe thinking through scripture or prayer, but you just sit there and you do nothing. The second thing I would say is if you're going to experience this rest is you've got to have a fixed Sabbath. We've got to recover a Sabbath, guys. This is a non-negotiable. You are not better than Jesus at living the life of Jesus. And he took a Sabbath. 
You have got to learn to take one day out of the week. For me, it's a Saturday because Sunday's a work day. For many of you, it's probably a Sunday. But you've got to take one day where you are not rushing from one thing to the next. You have to take one day where you are just doing the things in life that stir your heart towards God, that you enjoy things like reading the scripture and praying and eating good food or taking a walk in nature. Just a time where you realize I don't always have to be needed and always have to be going somewhere for the world to keep turning. God's got this. I can rest. And listen, I promise you, you will not be able to rest throughout the week if you cannot learn to rest for one day. You've got to rest for one day, and then when you can do that, it will begin to move over to the rest of the week. Third thing I would say is this. We need to have a fixed schedule. This may not be for you, but I love what Stephen Covey says. He says, the inner peace is achieved when our schedules align with our values. Some of you are living reactive lives. Bam, bam, something happens. I mean, it's just like you're a mess. I mean, you're all over the place. You're saying yes to everything that comes your way, right? And that's why you just feel so overwhelmed. I set a schedule the week before for the next week. You've got to do it, guys, right? On some level, I think we all need to think about what are our values, what are our top priorities, and make sure that your week is a reflection of those things that you value the most. You need to stop and think about what are the top priorities in my life. Okay, God, taking care of myself, my family, making disciples, and you've got to make sure whatever that list is, that seven never gets in the way of five, or that three never gets in the way of one. And a fixed schedule is a way to help us do that. A fourth thing I would say, and this is debatable, I'm guessing, but simple living, or some call it the, minimal, the minimalist movement. Um, this is just the idea that a cluttered life will lead to a cluttered mind, okay? And so this is basically saying, I'm going to strip my life down to the things that matter the most. I'm not just going to keep filling my shed and my garage and my barn and my kitchen with all these different things. It's to say, I'm going to get rid of those 15 pairs of shoes that I don't really need, or I'm going to get rid of all that stuff in the kitchen, those utensils I don't need, or that DVD collection I don't watch anymore, and it's just creating space, creating margin in your life. And then finally, I would just say this. If we want to truly begin to match our pace with Jesus, we want to learn how to abide in him more, you need to learn how to slow down your pace on just a daily existence. You need to learn to slow down your daily life. Richard Plass, again, who I quoted earlier, here's a mentor of mine. After looking at my Enneagram and after talking with me, here's what he said to me the very first time we met. He said, Jared, he said, your whole life is on high alert right now. And if you don't learn to slow down, in 10 years, you're either going to have a heart attack or you're going to drive your family into the ground. And um, what's interesting is there's this book out right now, which I'd encourage you to read. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's this idea that what you do matters, that your body is keeping the score of what's really going on inside of you emotionally. Your body's suffering the effects of that. And what's interesting is I met with a, <clears throat> a holistic doctor uh, a few months ago, her name is Dr. Wendy Spanos, just because I want to experience holistic health. And she read my report back to me after all these different assessments. And here's what she said. She showed me my thyroid, and she used all this you know, medical language and all that. And basically, I said, like, okay, well, break this down for me. And she says, basically, what your thyroid is doing 24-7, Jared, is pumping the brakes because you're moving at such a fast pace and doing more than your body's actually able to keep up with. And she said, you're still young, you're 34, but eventually that's going to catch up to you. And so I just share that to say this. I, as much as anybody in here, need this message today, and I'm trying to figure this out myself. And here's just a few things that I'm doing to try to slow down my daily life, and I'm just sharing these with you to maybe help you. One is I'm starting to take a couple walks a week. A couple times a week, I just go in for a walk. I did it this morning, a matter of fact. I went out, got me some coffee, put some coconut oil in it, which I highly recommend, and uh, I took a walk. 
Uh, another thing that I'm doing, I bought a thing called an HRV monitor. It stands for heart rate uh, variability. Um, you can buy it for like 35 bucks on Amazon. It used to be just for Olympic athletes. Now it's for the general public. But I, I have a free app on my phone. And basically, I put this thing on every single morning. And it tells me if my body has been overworked or overstressed the day before. And if I need to maybe try to remove my schedule or take some things out where I'm not so just running here and there. That takes discipline, but it's something else that I am trying to do. Another thing that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to drive the speed limit, okay? And I'm trying to come to a full stop at a stop sign, okay? It's re- the struggle is real for me. Uh, I am trying to, keyword trying, to arrive early to appointments without taking my cell phone out now. Just sitting there and being there with the Lord. Um, I'm also trying to walk slower. I was walking into Walmart three weeks ago, and this woman looked at me, and she goes, man, that boy's on a mission. And I was like, and I realized I was walking fast, and the bad thing is I wasn't even going in for anything that urgent. It's just the way I walk, and man, it's just, you know, like taking off. And I was like, why am I always just, man, I got to get from point A to point B as quick as possible. So I'm trying to walk slower. I don't see Jesus, like, flying through. And so... um, Another thing I'm doing is I'm trying this really great thing from the 90s. They call it single tasking. And so um, this is the idea that I'm trying not to be on the phone, listening to music, talking to my wife, and watching a trailer for that next movie all at the same time. Just trying to be present, do one thing at a time. And then the last thing I would just say that I've been trying to do that's been great for me is a thing called the Prayer of Examine, which has been around for thousands of years. And basically what I do is each morning... I take um, just some time to, re- to, to reflect on the past 24 hours of my life, and I thank God for 24 things in the past 24 hours. And then I answer five questions, and here's the questions I answer. Um, when did I feel most alive in the last 24 hours? When did I feel most drained? When did I receive the most love? When did I give the most love? And what do I want to do differently today in light of all of that? Okay? It's just a way for me to slow myself down. And listen, the whole point of me sharing that is just to say this. You don't have to do things just like I do, but listen, guys, and we're done. You will not ever learn how to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did if you do not slow your pace down. This is a non-negotiable. I'm not saying you get rid of all of your responsibilities. I'm not saying you punch your mission I'm not saying we become lazy, but listen, you've got to learn how to say no to stuff that Jesus has never told you to say yes to. We have got to learn how to match our pace with his. And listen, guys, know that when you do this, it's going to feel crazy. It's going to feel unorthodox. It's going to feel overkill because Christians, and maybe some of you are doing it right now, looking at me like I'm weak for slowing down. Or thinking even like, oh, well, man, I know all these other Christians and they're not doing that. My parents, they never did that and they're awesome and they're doing great, right? But listen... I'm telling you, it's going to feel unorthodox. It's going to feel like you're going the opposite way, but it is the unlikely path to the life that you are longing for. Jesus has told us in the scripture that he will give us rest. This is a promise. It's a promise. But you cannot experience this if you continue to move at a neck break speed constantly trying to do what Jesus did and everything that the world is telling you also have to do.